Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan Podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for the download. We're happy to um, have you here listening to our podcast. We've got a great show for you today. want to start out by just mentioning um, and reminding everyone to keep the families um, and all of the people in Houston in your prayers. Uh, we know a lot's going on there. And as we continue to kind of check the weather forecasts and know that there may even be more rain and storms coming in that area, we want to continue to be mindful and, and pray for families families and pray for children um, who are being impacted by this storm and for for kids and teenagers and families who are being displaced and and being out of their homes. Um, While it's totally different than some of the or all of the, the refugee crisis that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, it's still relevant because we have kids and families and children who are displaced from their homes. And so we want to join together and continue to pray for Houston um, during this week and over the next several weeks and months to come. Phil, tell us uh, what's going on today. Yeah, you know, I, I too just want to, before we get into today's episode, you know, you kind of mentioned it, it it's, it's similar. I mean, there's displacement going on. It's similar to the issues we're talking about with the, with the refugee crisis is now we're in, in the, uh, the, uh, the throes of the, of the refugee crisis series, the, the fourth episode we have going on right now. Um, today we're going to hear from Steve Haas, who is the catalyst, um, is his official title at world vision. And he's going to talk with us about a lot of the realities of the, of the, uh, refugee crisis. And, you know, I, I've just been thinking, uh, as I've been watching the news and following the news and just even hearing about how so many of the people from Katrina were, you know, sent basically to Houston, you know, and they were refugees, so to speak, in Houston. And now they're getting hit again and the trauma that is going on there, you know, just to think about that. And so, so much to be praying about, so much that's going to need to be happening over the next few years. And, and uh, you know, the recovery alone is going to be billions of dollars, but it's, it's beyond that, the lives that are going to be affected in different ways. And so just keep them in your prayers. I know I'm watching the news because I have a lot of friends, uh, in, in Houston and just checking in with them. Fortunately, everyone I've checked in with has, has gotten back and said that they're okay and their house is fine and whatever. But I know that there, there's a lot of people that that's not the case for. So definitely, um, our hearts, uh, and prayers go out to everyone out there in Houston and anybody else who's been affected by this storm. Um, and we just pray that it will end soon. And I know that it's talking about moving, moving on to other spots and other parts, parts of the country. And I just pray for that, um, as well. So, you know, without, without more from that, um, you know, I definitely want you guys to learn and continue learning from these people that are coming, coming, uh, to us through this podcast. I'm excited for this conversation, for you to hear this conversation from, with Steve. He's just a man with passion. He's a man that's doing a lot of things with World Vision. And uh, he's going to share those things with us on how we can get involved on in real ways uh, here in the U.S., um, but also in, if, you know, if you are called to go somewhere else to be able to help, or if you're listening somewhere else around the world, really be listening to him about how, how you might be able to, to really get involved in what's going on around the world. So here goes, Steve. Well, Steve, it is so good to have you here with us today. Thank you. Delighted to be with you. 
You know, Steve, uh, some some folks out there may have may have heard you speak uh, some somewhere around the world, um, as you do that very often. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing that most of our audience really doesn't really know a lot about you. They might have heard of World Vision, uh, but uh, don't know who uh, Steve Haas is. So can you just uh, briefly introduce yourself and, and share a little bit about what you're doing with World Vision? Sure. Love to. Uh, been with World Vision now for about 15 years. Prior to that, uh, working fairly significantly with the nonprofit world uh, with relation to compassion ministries around the world uh, a lot and also working in the church sector. So people know Willow Creek or Forest Hill out in uh, the East Coast or uh, First Press Berkeley. Uh, these were great places that kind of helped me understand how church works and what the church, the power of the church can do when united. Um, much as Jesus said, if we could just be united, just imagine what would happen. And uh, saw churches that actually believe that and, and live that out. And now presently with World Vision, uh, serve under a wonderful title called Catalyst, mm-hmm. which allows me to communicate on issues that are important to us, do a lot of ideation, attempting to find what is the best ways to engage the American populace with issues that impact the poor not just here domestically, but around the world. Yeah, you know, and that's such a great thing that you talked about that we love to talk a lot about on this on this show is just the idea of we really need to work together. We need to unify and, and like you said, imagine what can happen when we do. And so the hope is we can uh, not only have to imagine it, but we'll actually see it. So hopefully some of the stuff we're learning today um, and we can put it together with some of the other stuff that we're, we're learning, whether it's on the show or otherwise, and be able to see, hey, how can we actually work together on these things? So I know that World Vision is doing that around the world, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but, you know, as, as uh, you and I have talked about a little bit, and I've heard you speak at uh, Q and, and on some uh, other things online, this uh, refugee crisis that we're hearing so much about, um, but I, I have a feeling we're not fully getting the, the, the bigger picture of it, um, just if we're just going on, on news outlets and, and other things that are out there. So I was hoping you could just give our audience an understanding and really of the scope of the global refugee crisis as you understand it and as World Vision's working with it. And uh, really, you know, how it implicates, you know, we can talk about just generally right now. Let's just go for the general. What's going on with the global refugee crisis as you see it? And, you know, especially um, speak to some of the kind of misconceptions we might have about it. Well, we use the word refugee crisis in light of the fact that it's just it is somebody without a home uh, and it's somebody who's found living in that place that they called home untenable. The truth is it's people who are displaced still in their own country, but can't be in their neighborhood. And they can't be there because bombs are dropping or neighbor, neighbors have, have uh, threatened some form of physical violence, as well as people who have said, you know, I can't even live in my own country anymore. And so I've had to cross a border. And so these are people who might be living in Syria, but now they're living in Lebanon. And when we say living, it could be you were in a a home in which you had a single income, a couple of cars, a couple of stories uh, in your house. Now you're living in a tent and you're living in a tent on a farm field and you've been living there for the last four to five years because you can't go back home. Bombs are falling. Neighbors are negative. uh, Maybe the place has been completely decimated. Uh, When you talk raw numbers, and this is when, unfortunately, people who are listening, you go from telling stories to suddenly statistics and, Mm -hmm. and it's easy to blank Uh, on what I just said, but we're talking about 65 and a half million people. And that number is skyrocketing northward. Mm -hmm. So if we were just looking at a graph line, 
maybe even up to five years ago, it looked uh, fairly commonplace. It's edging upwards, but it's fairly steady. It's something to pay attention to. It'd be like if you had a bad heart and and the, you had a little bit of an arrhythmia, you're going to pay attention to that. And the world has been paying attention to the displaced people and refugees around the world. But suddenly, because of these global crisis uh, situations that have begun to arise, where there's food crisis in Africa, or it's the Iraq and, and Syrian crisis, or what's happening in Somalia, suddenly that that line, that trend line becomes to art, begins to arch northward, and we haven't seen the top of that bell curve. So, mm-hmm. just so you're kind of getting a feel for that, in the last two years, that number has gone from about 50 million to 65 million. Mm-hmm. And you want that to level off. You want that to say, well, we've now initiated a world of compassion and people are stepping up and, and food is getting delivered and, and peace talks are working. But that isn't the case. So in countries like South Sudan, Syria, Somalia, Iraq, and all of the caller countries that are often just as fragile or almost as fragile who are receiving these hundreds of thousands and in some cases millions of refugees, those fragile countries are now becoming more fragile. So you you really have a situation that's gone from, uh, well, let's just check that ticker and make sure that, you know, we don't have anything. Are you, are you eating well? I mean, what are you doing? If this was our heart, suddenly you're watching this heart beginning to speed up and pound out of your chest. Mm-hmm. And it's longer than we thought. And it's more than we thought. And that's why uh, this becomes a code red. And I would say it's not. We're code red in a couple of years, so we just need to kind of pay attention to it and do these kinds of prescriptive actions. No, it's code red now. Mm -hmm. And if we don't act now, then literally start – we can play out all the – 15 years from now, what happens then? Because most of these refugees are kids, 50 percent in the Syrian refugee crisis, which is 15 – close to 15 million people if you just include Iraq. Those two countries alone, 15 million people, half of them children, 80% women and children. Hmm. What happens to those people 15 years from now if, in fact, something doesn't happen now? So that's why we would say, code red now, folks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Got to act now because uh, we're going to have an untenable situation 15 years from now because we didn't act when the present, you know, uh, profits, it's more than profits now. These are statisticians. These are people in high, you know, high end UN positions. These are nonprofits. These are church leaders who are screaming, got to act now, got to act now because the situation is code red. Yeah, right. And I think you touched on it there too. I mean, just how many of these are children as well, which, you know, with that comes so many, so many other issues. You know, you talk about, you know, the things we talk a lot about on the show where you got attachment issues, you got, you know, so much trauma that, you know, adults have a hard enough time handling or don't handle well. Um, But kids who just have no life experience in there are thrown into this. Are there, are there special things that, uh, you know, you you have considerations, special things that uh, World Vision is doing to help with the children? Well, absolutely. The the level of psychosocial care, as you can well imagine, is off the charts. Many of these kids have experienced things that we wouldn't want adults to see, dead bodies in the street, uh, 
they've had loved ones close to them, mother, father, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, uh, who have passed away due to the violence. And in some cases, these kids saw it happen. They were in the room. Uh, they stepped over them. Uh, the lack of parenting and, and the safeguards that most of us grew up with and were delighted to have mom and dad make sure that the door is locked and that people don't come in and uh, that they're kind of looking out for me. Uh, we have a number of kids who are without parents or they've lost a, a parent. Mm -hmm. So again, these kids are coming into these very fragile places with a world that has been shattered. Right. And you wouldn't notice that right up front uh, because they're kids. So they're, you know, you, you produce a bat, you produce a soccer ball, they're going to start playing. Uh, <laughs> they're dancing. Their, their, their smiles come quickly in most cases, but inside there is a quaking. There is a massive shot of cortisol that has been their life experience up until they have found their way to you. And so now how do you begin to unpack that? So we've created child-friendly spaces where psychosocial care can be combined with some early childhood education because in many cases these kids are not ready to be mainstreamed into school. And because of that, they're just falling farther and farther and farther behind. So if, if we can bring them up to speed while at the same time declaring to them that there is a place you can go, there are people you can meet with that are safe that will not hurt you, that love you, that you matter to God, and that he cares for you. If we can create that kind of an environment, then in fact, we're giving them an opportunity, an opportunity to break through some of these uh, childhood traumas that's always gonna be there, the scarring is always gonna be there, but to give them a, a, a level set that allows them to, to kind of rejoin the world, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that, you know, we talk so much about on the show and, and just with uh, the different things that are going around the world that often we try to, you know, unfortunately put things into silos and try to, to say to have these things that are up and tied up in ni you know, nice little boxes. But really, these, these issues are so interconnected. And the things that a lot of the people are dealing with, with, you know, their child who they've adopted from somewhere or they're doing, dealing with an orphan care community somewhere around the world, these are a lot of the same issues that you're talking about here, but they're, they're different in the context that they're in, but, but a lot of the same care is needed. Um, and, but the, a lot of the times here, you don't have the opportunity to get it there. So that's what you're talking about really with these child-friendly spaces where you're bringing the psychosocial care to them in these camps. Is that right? Well, it's not only in these camps, but we're, I mean, humanity is humanity. Yeah. Uh, we were actually doing it in tents in the camps, in buildings that were adjacent to the camps where we could rent these out. Mm -hmm. uh, that was proving to be incredibly successful. But then in some of these uh, communities in which have a leader to right. kind of oversee some of these uh, settlement situations. And I'm talking right now specifically to, to Lebanon because each country is different in the way in which they deal with their refugees. I'll give you one example. We, we were very successful with this on the ground on uh, a farm, some of these farm fields that we're now renting out to refugees, about 200 a year. They're living now under plastic. It's literally living in a tent with some framing. Mm -hmm. uh, they were sending their kids to a, a child-friendly space. Well, unfortunately, in some of these cases, uh, the person who's got oversight of that said, you know, I, I want this for my kids. This is great benefit to our kids. But to that other tent settlement across the street, across the way, we, we really don't want them to join with us. Mm. 
where have we heard this before? Mm-hmm. Find me a neighborhood association in the U.S. and you'll probably find this. And so then we we said, well, wait a second. We're World Vision. We don't we don't just apportion our compassion to this group or this religious group. It's open to all. Jesus's compassion doesn't mm-hmm. sort itself out based on the color of your skin or, or what what faith you happen to espouse. It's open to all. And so we actually had to go and find a space that allowed hundreds of children uh, to receive this kind of psychosocial care. But now this meant some of the parents releasing their kids to us to go to this place that is not exactly, you know, geographically adjacent. So now they're going to have to get in a bus just like kids would go to on a bus to school. Again, we wouldn't have any problem negotiating this in the U.S. I mean, it's just, okay. First time, second time, maybe a little difficult. Parents need to release the hand of the child. Child gets on the bus and goes to preschool. But what if your child has had a bomb dropped on them? What if they stepped over dead bodies on their three-day journey to get to this fragile place that's now safe, quote unquote, but it's not their neighborhood? Right. So we spend 50% of our time, our staff spends 50% of the time with the parents Mm. to unleash the hand so that the child can come to this place where they can begin to find what we would just say in John 10, 10 is life in all of its fullness. Right. And that, that has built trust, has built uh, an opportunity for us to reach into the life of the parent as well as to reach into the life of the child. But it, again, it's so much more complicated than we would typically think in our kind of black and white world. Well, of course, I just released the hand of my child. They get on the bus. They go to right. school. Right. Now, that that isn't necessarily the way it works when when so much trauma has been a part of the past absolutely and in all parties involved so exactly yeah, absolutely exactly. well and, you know and that's that's another thing that we we tend to want to simplify things and i think you and i talked a little bit before uh getting on to that we started recording um about the work that you're doing with churches in the u.s in particular and talking with churches and the one thing they all want to talk about is immigration and the issues that we've been hearing about here on the the news outlets um and you say something to them that that uh, to inform them uh pretty quickly about that that you told me and i'd love for you to share a little bit about that of how we kind of tend to put things uh, in our country, things that affect us, we put them on the, on the pedestal almost and as a priority, when sometimes it may not be the whole story. So can you just share a little bit about how we can better understand where, where the U.S. response and all that fits into the bigger picture? Well, first, let me remind you and remind our listeners that uh, safety is an issue. And safety should be an issue. And uh, after having traveled to this region, which has a medium uh, security rating in the places I'm going and the places I'm not going has a significant uh, security rating. In fact, I'm on the phone with one of our travelers today in light of the fact that his spouse read what Canada is saying about just the country of Lebanon in general. That's where we'll be traveling. Mm -hmm. And it's it's red. It's like, don't go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that should security be an issue. Of course, it should be an Absolutely. issue. It should always be an issue. Uh, but we've taken the greatest humanitarian crisis since World War II. And, and we've made it all about our safety. In essence, we've made it all about us. And, and I'm all for safety. These are legitimate safety concerns. But we've, we've, if we actually take that stance as a follower of Jesus – 
about all the issues of our world. We will literally wall ourselves out from the very compassionate action that God has called us to in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And and if you just if someone just said, well, I'm going to I don't know, Steve, <laughs> I'm going to check you on that. I I'm not sure that's what it says. Well, do the study because it is replete with caring for the foreigner, for the alien. Mm-hmm. God seems. In fact, I would even say that God seems to have based on what you read, based on what we understand to have a special concern. In fact, I would even say he's got a preferred outreach for those who find themselves in the exact same setting that these refugees are in. Some three to four to, I think you could stretch it and say 5% of the refugees are the ones that are making it to Europe and even less than 1% are making it to the United States if they make it to the United States. So our question is, okay, what about the 95% that have found themselves either inside Syria and Iraq, if we're just using that as a poster child of the refugee crisis, and you'd be very accurate mm-hmm. to do so, because it's mm-hmm. the largest of that apportionment of refugees. But what are we doing about the 95% that are either there or in caller countries around Syria and Iraq? And what are we doing so that if we actually do a, a, a good job of compassion, A, begins to secure a future for them and a future for us, but also keeps them from getting on a boat in the dark of night mm-hmm. if we really cared about people and they can't swim. Right. These people don't know how to swim. And they're going to get into a boat that has six inches of clearance and it's a rubber dinghy and they can't even see where they're going. Mm-hmm. What? Why would they do that? except that the situation where they came from is actually worse than the situation that they're facing as they get into that boat. Right. How do I make that situation where they came from tenable, sustainable, and in some way preparation for the time that if we actually believe in peace, when that peace comes, they're going to be able to travel back with resources. I, I, I don't want to go long here, but there was a Pentecostal pastor I was talking with in the Bekaa Valley, this beautiful former Roman breadbasket between Syria and Lebanon. As I talked with him, he said, you know, someday, his word to us as he, as he left was someday this war is going to end. And when it ends, and here was the phrase that basically stuck with me and has been hard to shake. He said, someday they will go back with what we gave them. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, you're you're on the clock, because at that point he looked at his watch, which was very uncomfortable because this would be deemed bad form in the United States. It's bad form in Lebanon, too. Right. He said, uh, are you done? He looked at his watch when he said that. Are you done? And as he got up to leave, uh, he did. And we let him leave. One of my traveling mates who's a, uh, actually runs a, a great organization that does media across the United States. He looked at me and he said, man, that was rude. And then the one guy in our group that hardly ever speaks turns to all of us and said, did you listen to what he said? And we all stopped because we were all offended at that moment Mm -hmm. because of what he had done with his watch. And we said, "Uh, uh, well, give it to us again. He said, someday the war is going to be over and what they go back with is what we gave them. And then he said, he's on the clock. He's actually got an appropriate appraisal 
of what's going on. He doesn't have all the time in the world to sit here and have a nice chat over a nice lunch. Mm. Soon this war will end. He's 30 miles away from an ISIS firing line along the border of Syria and Iraq. Mm. He's made the decision that his faith says, I got something to do. And I've got to be it. I got to be involved. I got to be in. I got to be at work. And being at lunch, answering your questions, is a nice thing, but it isn't the necessary thing. And I think as I walked away from that, I said, you know, Steve, you've got to be more like him. Mm. You've got to be thinking, what can I do that is in alignment with the scripture that starts taking care of the orphan, the foreigner, and the widow? In a way that you want to be taken care of. Right. Because if I'm doing that, then I really am about the work of Jesus in the world. Hmm. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good. And it really is a great segue into the into the next uh, thing I want to talk to you about. And that's really, in your view on the front lines, in your view in conversations like that, you know, what should our response, you know, first of all, what, what you're doing on the front lines, but also our response here to the crisis look like? Like, what can we be doing and how can we actually help others in ways that so that when the war is over, what we're able to give them is something that they'll be able to take back and use uh, to help uh, them flourish and prosper where they're at? Well, I think, as you know, one of the things I did prior to working with World Vision, in fact, some a few few jobs back was a thing called prayer for the persecuted church. And we would say the the least you can do is the most you can do. Mm-hmm. And that's pray. And we would often do this in a video format. We would say, you know, big bold, the least you can do. And you see those letters bounce up and become very large font type is the most you can do. And so I know someone at that point is thinking, write a check. No, no. The least you can do is the most you can do. And then as that font type would get larger and larger, it would just say, pray. We're asked that all the time by church leaders across the region. Are you praying for us? I actually have found that when I begin to pray for the refugee situation in Syria and Iraq, and I may not even know what that situation is. I may not even know how to locate that on a map. But if I begin to pray, I have found that I am pushed. There is an internal push to discover Mm-hmm. I suddenly it's like it's like there's a there's uh, gates or obstacles or holds or boundaries on the way in which I think about a place that suddenly fall down. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I become less secure. It's that I become more curious. I may I become more open. And so what I would say to your listeners, to you, uh, to myself is, am I praying for this crisis? Am I praying for these people? So if. I pray if I have a time in the morning when I'm praying, if I just maybe even just pray at church. Am I including this in my prayer that I begin to pray for these people? And as I begin to do that, God begins to work on my heart where I begin to be open to understand them. And that means I start. It's, it's funny. I If I drive a, a Subaru, it's amazing. So they look around. Everybody's driving a Subaru. Didn't notice that before. When I begin to pray for the Syrians or I begin to pray for Iraqis, suddenly all those uh, news stories that are coming forward or those that I suss out, I, I start finding myself interested. Mm-hmm. It, it just naturally happens. So I would say the first thing is to pray. The second thing is to be open to what God might begin to teach you 
what Jesus may want you to know about these people. And then engage. That as he begins to give prompts, that you would engage, that you would begin to risk loving, risk reaching out, risk understanding. And then I think as we all find, as we begin to do those things, we find it isn't really much of a risk because we find out that these are people. Mm -hmm. uh, these are in large measure moms and dads who are freaked out. They are terrified. They're running from the very things that you and I are terrified of, except they've had a real experience with those things. They're looking for love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for a level of understanding. And if you've actually been praying for them, if you've actually been doing some reading or being open to some of those news reports coming in, you have active uh, opportunity and, in fact, some platform on which to begin to have a dialogue, at least a dialogue, but maybe even a relationship. And then lastly, I would just say, if you're engaging, be open to organizations that are actually on the front lines doing the work. Mm -hmm. And we've had many donors who have come to us who have just said, look, we know you're there. We know you're taking care of some two million people in that region. Is there something that I can do to help? And that could be practical in terms of, uh, you know, giving gift in kind that we're looking for and mobilizing on the front lines. It could be dollars. Those are often the most helpful uh, because those immediately can go to work and building these safe zones for kids or food for these uh, refugees that are in these places or housing, etc. But again, it starts with prayer because in many ways, the thing that's keeping us from stepping into this is our fear. Mm. And what demobilizes the follower of Jesus, fear, is uh, usually conquered when I begin to put faith into the, into the algorithm. When faith begins to be the first thing I do, pray, I find that fear finds its appropriate place, uh, you know, because there are things to be fearful of, mm -hmm. but I begin to find out how to, to actually deal with it in a responsible way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I want to just touch on the, the partnerships that you have too, because I mean, you talked about the work that you, uh, and world vision are doing, um, around the world that, you know, if people want to get involved, uh, by partnering with world vision through funding, through prayer, through whatever, um, so much of what you're doing is collaborating with local churches and really loving through them, as you've said, um, in some of your talks, um, how are you doing that? How, how are you coming in as world vision, gaining trust of some of these, you know, often really small ch local churches, you know, coming in as a big organization, how are you able to do that and to actually foster collaboration? Well, the great thing is this, uh, I was hearing someone use the phrase, uh, this isn't my first rodeo. Um, it's that is a phrase is so poorly used in so many places. <laughs> I'm going to use it again. This isn't our first rodeo. Uh, we've been in Lebanon over 32 years mm -hmm. working with the faith community. Well, they've seen us doing sponsorship programs in which we're bringing in clean water. We're bringing in education. We're bringing in jobs. We're bringing in uh, opportunity to do some uh, small scale uh, food security because often we just need to kind of – kind of ramp them so that they've got their foot on the ladder uh, to begin to do economic uh, advancement inside these communities. So they've, they've watched us. Mm -hmm. They've worked with us. They've been our indispensable partner. Suddenly, uh, if you're Lebanon, again, just keeping to one country to keep it simple, 
you're a country of four million who's just taken into taken into your country in the last six years one to two million people mm. and the church is choking because they they were told we got to be compassionate uh we need to be loving we need to be practically helping if we read matthew 25 correctly but we're bankers we're business people we're we're housewives we, you know we don't do relief and development we don't do that stuff so suddenly all these people are pouring across the border and they say, well, who does it and who have we watched do it in our own country? Well, World Vision. And so then we've been contacted by many churches that have moved against their fear and they're moving out in faith. And they've just said, can, can you help us learn how to come alongside these newcomers in a way that they go from being refugees to maybe even relatives? Because in many cases, that specifically is the truth. These are relatives of these people who moved into Syria or, in fact, just came across. But how do we begin to relate to these newcomers in a way that really shows off the, you know, the, the body of Christ at its best? And I can just tell your listeners, that is what we are seeing. We're, right. we're seeing the church, when it decides to step up, and just so you know, just less than 30 years ago, Syria was the overlord in Lebanon, many of those people in the Lebanese church that are reaching out have loved ones, uncles, aunts, grandparents, who may have been hurt or killed by Syrian soldiers. And so this is no uh, kind of easy step across the line, I'm gonna be compassionate. This is a gut check. And I get emotional when I think about this because I don't know how I would respond if my family had been hurt. Right by this neighboring country. But suddenly here's this flush of people who have a different faith for the most part, most of them are Muslims, who have flooded my community. In one case, we're talking with a pastor of a community of 4,000. There are 10,000 refugees who have come into his community. And now I'm reading the scripture that says, be compassionate, love the foreigner, take care of the widow and the orphan. And yet, Wait a second. Uh, that national flag was flying over a country that killed my relatives. Mm. So are you telling me that I got to be compassionate? I got to be reconciling. I've got to be relational and helpful to those people. And my face says, yeah, in fact, not only do you need to do that, but you need to do it like they were your relatives. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. If if you decide you're going to do that. And I'm sitting in a country that is resource rich as mine is. What I have found time and time again in all these trips into that country, um, I just want to know, how can I help you? What can I do to resource you? You've made a move toward faith that I know I would have to ask some serious questions of myself because this has become suddenly very personal. Right. And if you're going to step up and have that kind of Jesus response, then I just want to I want to lift your arms. I want to get behind you. What do you need? You know, and so that is what World Vision is doing. And not just with Christian organizations, because the the situation is so large. Again, it's one Mexico and two Canada's pouring into the United States in a little less than six years. Mm. Figure that out. Mm. 
So they are absolutely drowning in refugees. If that was my country and I was in need, literally that large, we can't just use the local church. So we're also talking to mosques as followers of Jesus and saying, what do you need? Mm -hmm. How can we be helpful? And that has led to conversations that, frankly, in my lifetime, I never thought I'd be having um, from a deep, deep faith perspective as well as just a humanity uh, situation. What does it mean to love and love across boundaries, love across borders, love across faith contexts? Right. What does that mean? And we're having just a wonderful time with that. No, definitely. Well, I, yeah, that is, that is so good. That is, that is so rich right there. And, and I, I would love for you now to just share um, with our audience how, you know, there's so much to this. Obviously we can't cover it in 30 minutes. Um, and, uh, I know though that there are some great resources that world vision has and some other, uh, hopefully some resources that you might be able to point our audience to that can help us all to understand the crisis at a deeper level. Um, you know, it's really as deep as you want to go into, to understand it. So can you just share with us things that world vision has for us to understand it better ways that people can engage with you and world vision to have them maybe come to your church and learn more. And also, um, for those folks out there just wanting to go online, what are some credible sources of information to get what's, you know, what's really going on? Well, I think you mentioned the church here, and the church here is waking up. Uh, there is not a day that goes by in which we're not being hit with uh, some fairly significant church leaders that are saying, okay, I'm awake. <laughs> I got it. Uh, somebody came to me, or I've been on a trip, or I'm, I've been in a, I've been a queue, or I've been at some of these conferences. This is becoming a fairly significant subject. Again, no time better than the present to become informed and armed with information. Uh, if you were to get up on worldvision.org, uh, on the internet and just look for church resources. Uh, there are many churches across the country that are hosting a Refugee Sunday. In fact, there will be a, a an event happening in November. We'll be announcing at the Global Leadership Summit that Willow Creek puts on in August. Uh, this is These are great events in which your church can participate with a lot of other churches and it's not the time to say, well, it's been going for six years, so where you been? It's just a time to become informed now and engaged now. Because as I said, the situation is now, if we want a preferable future 15 to 20 years from now, based on what's going on. And there's a, just a whole host of resources there from virtual reality to a World Vision uh, tent experience. You can actually experience what it's like to be a children in this context, as well as a week of walking alongside refugees. What is What does that mean that you could actually use a text that comes to you, tells you what you're supposed to do as an individual, but to do this collectively as a church? And mm. these are proving to be very, very exciting opportunities where people become not just knowledgeable, but in some sense begin to walk in uh, what it's like to be in these situations and then engage in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. So again, just quite simply worldvision.org and uh, as well on, on those resources, uh, we also let you know about some of the partners that we have in country and around the world that are dealing with this crisis. Yeah, I encourage you all out there to, to go to that. Go to worldvision.org. There's also a World Vision YouTube channel. You can go and see videos of these different things. Um, 
Uh, you know, and Steve, thanks so much for, for what you've shared so far. We have a couple more questions that we ask all of our guests and I'd love to, to hear your answers. And, uh, the first one is what have you read, listened to, or watched, uh, that has most impacted your thinking on the, the refugee crisis, but also how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence? Well, I think uh, that's a great question. And, and I, for me, these things have to be personal. I get the great benefit of actually traveling uh, to see and sit down on the ground in the tents with these people uh, and listen to their stories and understand them. Many do not have that chance to travel in that way. There's some great books out there. So I'm going to rifle through. And then if someone, if I go too fast, you can always kind of. <laughs> these will be on our, on our show notes so I can put okay. them on there for the people if you are going too fast. And this is of kind of looking at the refugee situation in general. Um, uh, one, A Long Way Gone by Ishmael Bea is a great book that just chronicles the story of an individual that's dealing with what, what it means to be a refugee. Where the Wind Leads by Vin Chung, uh, talking about uh, a, if someone who's actually now on our board, World Vision's board, but at one time was a child uh, in a boat floating in the South China Sea, leaving Vietnam, and how their life was very much in the balance. And he tells the full story. Running for My Life by Lopez Lamont, this two-time U.S. Olympian who's a South Sudanese lost boy. And he gives you the full story of how what happens when you escape, what happens when you live in a refugee camp and that's your existence, but what happens also when someone shows compassion, in this case the United States and a family in, in New York, up in Syracuse, and what happens then? Um, a Hope More Powerful Than the Sea by Melissa Fleming is a powerful account, a very modern account that helps you understand what are refugees dealing with as they take to water to get away from their country. And then to kind of pull this all together, a great book by my friend Stephen Bauman, Seeking Refuge. Uh, he's a former president of World Relief and now is leading a foundation but has written a, a, a very good book that gives you a basic understanding of what's happening to these refugees and how to engage. Those are some great, uh, great resources of folks out there. There's, uh, you got no excuse now. You got a lot of reading in front of you. You um, do. <laughs> and, the- and also that web channel I think is critical. Getting up on the World Vision YouTube channel gives you a lot of places in which uh, you can actually see and hear what's going on. Yeah, I agree with that. I spent a lot of time on there to understand a lot of these issues much deeper. So thank you for putting that on there. Uh, I know I'm assuming you didn't actually put them on yourself, but you know, your great team behind you that that's able to do that. But, um, the last question we have is, is what person, uh, has most impacted your thinking on the issues we've discussed today? You know, you had thrown me that question before and I kept trying to come back to single individuals and there was actually too many. The people that have most impacted me, they go without names. Um, I have sat in what feels like hundreds of interviews with these parents sitting on a plastic, cement, dirt, farm fields, muddy in some cases, uh, sun-scorched. Uh, women in hijabs, they got their head covered, um, men who are broken, uh, kids around the smells of, of coffee because they always want to they always want to be hospitable even though they have nothing and listening to their stories and realizing, but by the grace of God, 
I could be living here. I could be this person. And constantly asking the question, is the image of God here too? Because if it is, then I have a responsibility to this person in the same way I would have a responsibility to my child or my wife or you name the family member, the neighbor. This is my neighbor. And I think the power of that has been what what uh, keeps me from burnout, that drives me forward when I'm really tired, that reminds me to speak up instead of being silent, to engage when I don't feel like engaging. Because in, in essence, they don't have a voice. I'm hearing their voice now, but they don't have a voice to an awake world. They're stuck. They're a refugee. They've been kicked to the outer limits, the outer edge of the circle. And so I have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to do what Jesus did, to give that unseen, hidden voice outlet, a platform, so that others can understand that there is somebody not to be feared, to be loved, to be open for transformation. The same way in which I was given that so richly and have been and continue to be given that so richly throughout my life. I'd been blessed. Now I got to leverage that blessing for somebody else. Again, I'm always reminded the church that I belong to was never meant for the inside, mm. the folks on the inside. It's the church was built. Uh, the object of the church was the outsider. Mm. And these are the people who are the most on the outside. And it just seems to me then that our presence, our objective needs to be heavily favored toward them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Steve. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all the work that you and World Vision are doing um, around the world. It's just, it's so encouraging and inspiring to me. And I, I definitely uh, learned a ton today. I know our audience is better uh, for hearing what you've had to share. So thanks again. Phil, thanks for bringing these things to the light. Well, thank you, Steve, for that uh, that wisdom that you were able to share with us uh, about all the work that you and World Vision are doing. Uh, and I was I was very encouraged by that. I was also, you know, a bit challenged with all those books that uh, that Steve shared with us. So I don't know about you, Karen, but uh, I know I got some reading to do because those stories. I went and looked at all those books, and they look fantastic. So, Karen, what stuck out to you uh, in that interview, and just really, what are you going to bring away from it? Yeah, definitely lots of homework, definitely lots of reading, adding to my list of, um, at this point, like um, maybe over 100 (laughs) books that I need to read in my spare time. Um, No, I I took a lot from this interview, and um, I I really appreciated his intensity. And we talked about that before we started recording today, but I think it's a really great intensity. There is a passion, and I'm not a huge fan of that word, but there's a passion and an intensity that that Steve has, and, and I appreciate that and um, have definitely had um, definitely have areas of my life that I feel very similarly and am growing in my understanding and even awareness of um, the refugee crisis. And he's helped me so much in that, even in um, this interview. One of the things that really stood out to me, Phil, and be honest, I mean, I am not an expert of the refugee crisis. I can talk to you about trauma. I can talk to you about helping kids who've come from institutionalized settings, but I am in no form or fashion expert on the refugee crisis. And so honestly, for me to even hear that 95% 
of the refugees in our in the world right now, 95% of them are living in collar countries. And honestly, like I had to even think about that term. Okay, what is he meaning by a collar mm-hmm. country? And just hearing that only 5% typically make it to Europe, which in my mind is kind of what I was thinking. Like, okay, like there's refugees and they enter into um, a European country. And I know that sounds wildly ignorant and I'm so uh, apologetic <laughs> about that. But even just learning how many families and children and teenagers and hearing those statistics that it's that it's children that it's children and women are entering into these settings where they are displaced not only from their typical everyday lives that um, I think he even mentioned like they they're coming from houses that have multiple stories and educations and careers and um, but they're just landing on the little bit of the outskirts of their home country and that's still a huge amount of displacement and so Honestly, I, I learned even basic things like that, Phil, and it was really uh, challenging for me to, to hear that and convicting. Yeah, you know, I, I similarly, similarly, I mean, he just was sharing things that about this, that every interview so far with with uh, Chris, you know, talking about the theological underpinnings and some of the things that he's worked through and then hearing Scott talk about some of the the uh, facts as well, like Steve did today, but then having Halil last week with his personal story and just the different angles to learn about these things, um, you know, and what's to come. I know that uh, you all out there don't really know the rest of the lineup, but uh, we got Jeremy Courtney, who again is, is on the ground working in Iraq and Mark Foreman, who made a movie about this in Iraq. And, and then, uh, you know, we got a couple other folks who are talking about resettlement and vetting and different things that, there's so much to this. There's so much to this that, you know, it's, it's really easy to say it's about immigration or it's about, you know, just really dealing with trauma in this particular spot or it's about this or that or the other thing. But really there's so many issues and we talk about the interconnectedness, but there's so much to this. And to hear Steve talk about it, you know, really brought that to light too. Like even what you just talked about there with, you know, the numbers, as he said, you can get lost in the numbers very easily. Um, but there's so much to it that we really, I think we can, we can learn a lot. And you could be either be discouraged by that and like, oh, it's kind of like the, the orphan crisis numbers, right? You know, you just throw out a number and it's like you yeah. could either be paralyzed and say there's nothing I could do. Or you could do, like he said, the least you can do is the most you can do, right? I love that quote from him where it's like, you know, no, get on your knees and pray and say, okay, what am I supposed to be doing here? And really ask God to show you. And when you do that, I think God will show you. So, you know, what, what else? What else from him? I think I'm just very, very impressed with the world's vision, understanding of how important it is to help kids um, and psychosocial care and how important it is to come alongside of families who have experienced traumas. You know, when he talked specifically about the child-friendly spaces, and we've heard about that on this series as well, just knowing that that's so wildly important. And what Steve really highlighted, I think that that's relevant in in all really um, aspects of providing care for children um, in the States or in in a refugee crisis, or even when we think about the the kiddos right now and the teenagers um, in the Houston area and when um, they've experienced displacement, is helping kids to be able to have a space to engage in everyday normal routines, helping kids to have a space where they can reestablish routines and continue to do things like play and dance and engage in art activities to engage in the normalcy of life. And one of the 
things that Steve pointed out, which is so absolutely true. And, and from a clinical perspective is that anytime we're working with kids and teenagers, but, but especially with kiddos, we also have to work with their parents and we have to help parents to feel safe in the decisions that they're making for their children. And, you know, he mentioned about being willing to let go of that child's hand so that that child can um, obtain education in that refugee mm-hmm. setting and just really how the World Vision team surrounds families and caregivers as well to provide them with the necessary psychosocial care. Um, I can't imagine, um, you know, my family being in that setting and then having experienced that with my children and then being willing or really honestly having enough courage and being brave enough to then allow my child to leave my Mm. side to go obtain an education. And so I thought that was incredibly relevant and it encourages me from a clinical perspective in so many ways that world vision is just, you know, hitting it out of the park. They're, they're, they're nailing it with their psychosocial care related to children and families. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I've been very, very impressed, you know, talking with Halil and Steve just in, and really in the research I've been able to do to see what world vision is able to do. And so, you know, that, that takes us into, you know, the, the recommendations today are actually, uh, related to that a little bit. I have a couple recommendations and, and, uh, one is kind of a group of, of different talks and articles that I'm going to put in the show notes that uh, that Steve has done with Q. Uh, Q Ideas, Gabe Lyons was one of our guests earlier on in, in the podcast, and, and Gabe has a, com- a conversation with uh, Jeremy Courtney and Steve. Uh, Jeremy, as I said, will be a future guest in this series. And it's really, it's called a conversation about Aleppo and it talks about Syria, talks about the issues there. There's another one um, that that Steve did with uh, Sheikh Mohammed. uh, It's it's basically, it's called Where Muslims and Christians Agree. And it's talking about the refugee crisis as well. And then there's an article, it's called Syria, the Middle East and Fragile States. And, you know, those those are just three great resources that are there that Q has has made. And, uh, you know, I, I love of the conversations that Q uh, curates and, and really the questions that it raises and the ability to think about things deeply. And the other recommendation I have today for you all is, uh, is actually a, another former guest, uh, Victor Marks with All Things Possible, made a movie called Triggered, and it's about PTSD and other trauma um, suffered by, by military uh by, by men and women in the military and, and really of how they are addressing it. Um, and it's, it's done very, very well. And I encourage you to go, uh, you can, you can watch it at triggeredthemovie.com. So with that today, you know, as, as we started the show, I want to finish it to say, you know, look, be praying for, um, you know, all the people that are affected by, by the, uh, the storm in in Houston and and really wherever else it's hit by the time this airs uh, I, you know my prayers go out to, to all the folks who have been affected by it and all their families as well and I pray you do the same the same and and take all that you've learned today from Steve from Karen myself and just and really use it in whatever way God leads you to love the orphan uh, the at-risk um, more and more better and better every day thanks a lot have a great week we hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. <laughs>